Good evening. My name is Moira Shuri, and I'm the Executive Director of Zocalo Public Square. Welcome to our discussion of what poetry can offer us in distressing times. And thank you all for joining us. At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free and everyone is welcome. You're probably joining us tonight because you respect the power of the written word. And we hope you will join us again on May 20th for our annual Zocalo Book and Poetry Prize event. Jay Hamid Bashir will read her winning poem, Little Bones. And our board chair, Chris Novoselic, will present our book prize to William Sturkey for his book, Hattiesburg. Pulitzer Prize-winning author David Blight will then interview William Sturkey about the themes covered in Hattiesburg. Please register on our website, zocalopublicsquare.org. And now back to today's discussion on what can poetry offer us in distressing times. You can submit questions for the panel in our live chat window on YouTube. And our moderator for tonight's discussion is Carla Hall, who is a journalist on the editorial board of the Los Angeles Times. She has been a staff writer for the LA Times California section, where she has covered topics including pop culture, reproductive rights, human rights, and homelessness. Over to you, Carla. Hello, and welcome to tonight's Zocalo Public Square discussion. What can poetry offer us in distressing times? Or as I like to call it, poetry in the time of the pandemic. I'm so thrilled to introduce the panelists for tonight. Alberto Rios is the author of 12 books and chapbooks of poetry, three collections of short stories, and a memoir. His latest collection of poems is Not Go Away Is My Name. He is a National Book Award finalist, Arizona's inaugural poet laureate, and a recent chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. Inez Tan is a fiction writer, poet, and educator. Her debut collection of short stories, This Is Where I Won't Be Alone, was a number two bestseller in Singapore where she grew up. She was a 2017 Kundaman Fellow and a recipient of the American, of the Academy of American Poets Award. She currently teaches creative writing at the University of California, Irvine. Juan Felipe Herrera is the author of over 30 books in various genres, including children's books, young adult novels, verse, poetry, fiction, and playwriting. He served as the Poet Laureate of California before becoming Poet Laureate of the United States from 2015 to 2017. I'd like to remind you that we will have some time at the end for a few audience questions later. So if you're watching, please submit your questions in the live chat window. So I'm so happy that you're all here. Um, you know, we've all read that people are hunkered down watching TV, watching Tiger King, not me, <laughs> reading novels, baking bread, um, what do you think poetry has to offer that's different from books, TV, and movies? Inez. Sure. So I, too, have not watched Tiger King, Carla. Yeah, um, but I think it's something that <laughs> um, I've been thinking about is that, you know, that wonderful list you provided. I think we need to take all our vitamins. You know, you need your little bit of baking. You need your meditation. You need your, yeah. you need your TV. And you need your poetry vitamin. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of a misconception with poetry that kind of like 
it has to be everything or, you know, it has to fill this hallowed role. And I think whatever poetry can do for you in your life, however much space it can take up in your life for you, I think that's perfect. Um, as for kind of specific for now in the pandemic, um, a couple of things I've been thinking about. I mean, first of all, the words that we tell ourselves matter so much. And I think mm. poetry is just such a great way to dwell in words, whether someone else's or your own. Um, I love the, the word stanza uh, from the Italian comes from standing room or kind of a room. Um, and I love thinking about it as sort of like a, a place of words where you can dwell um, pretty alone if you want or just with another person present. Um, and then broadly, before I hand it to, over to, to, to hear what someone else has, um, I think poems can kind of go in two wonderful directions. I think um, there's such a wonderful way to say, I want to dwell with somebody who understands how I'm feeling, who feels what I'm feeling right now. It doesn't have to be in the exact literal situation that I'm in right now, but they know something about how I think and feel right now. Yeah. Um, and then on the other extreme, which is also fun to talk about, I think are poems that take us to another place. Uh, internally, you know, in the imagination that just sort of take us out for a little while, which as many of us are finding is, is just as needed. So uh, I think poems can do just all those things. Um, and, and also, is there a sense that when you come to a poem, you can finish it, <laughs> you can accomplish something, you can read a poem, and even if you need to read it several times to fully mm -hmm. um, absorb it mm -hmm. it's it's something there it's it's like a moment I Juan Felipe I see you see you nodding to that uh, I mean does that sort of uh, does that seem uh like something that's a real thing for people who come to poetry part particularly people who don't usually read poetry that this is something they can absorb and feel like they accomplished it by finishing it well, you know, it's a, it's almost like a, it's a uh, like a time of meditation. Uh, yes. Uh, as uh, as uh, Ines was speaking, and as you uh, as you asked the question, it makes me think that actually it's uh, poetry or uh, poetry in our own personal uh, life that everyone has. Everyone has the poetry. Uh, give us that uh, um, a moment of meditation. You know, uh, uh, there's so much going on. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I watch the news all the time, you know, on CNN, CNN, CNN. I know everybody now on the, <laughs> I know everybody, <laughs> all the reporters, the backdrops. And, and uh, so it's, it's and what's happening, you know, in, in the society as we walk around a block or two or drive maybe four blocks and come back. Uh, uh, you know, we need to, it's all scrambled, you know. It's like everything is scrambled or uh, realigned. All the angles are off. The space is different. Uh, where it used to be filled, it's it's half empty. Where it used to be uh, half empty, is all of a sudden uh, there's cars, you know, on the road uh, as of today or yesterday or, or so. So every, so it's off angle. Everything's off angle. We live in an Escher and an Escher landscape. <laughs> And so it's good to go to that poem. It's good to go to that poem and and have a moment of stillness. And whatever words whatever words are on that on that on that medium that we call poetry, uh, we meditate for a moment. That doesn't matter what words you have. It's just about going there and you put something there 
and all of a sudden you feel you feel the waves uh, soothing you and uh, soothing others, I, which, is, which is a beautiful thing to do is to to yeah. Heal, to heal and that's way. definitely the way I feel when I I feel like it. I begin to sort of be taken up in a poem. I'm Alberto. Um, what do you think poetry gives us all? Well, Juan Felipe was mentioning the M.C. Escher uh, metaphor. And I, I think a poem uh, is a great companion to the tweet, which we have seen uh, all over the, you know, the known universe making laws now. But uh, the distinction between yeah. a tweet and a, a poem, those few words, those, those syllables, is, the, is a whole world of difference. And, you know, I, I think if I think about how this all works, a dictionary is efficient. All the words in the world, but a poem is effective. There's a huge difference. You only need a few words. They need to be the right words. And in that moment, the world does something. It moves. As a, and, and all of that information, all of those words become a tool for you to use and create something from rather than slamming you and, and, and you assuming that those words all mean something. <laughs> In the scope right. of a, in the scope of a poem, you get to you get to use all of those, or refuse to use them, and you make some choices, mm -hmm. and you live or die by that. But I think mostly in a good poem, something something good comes out of it. I I, I definitely think I mean there's such a curation of words in in a poem, um, and there are actually not enough curation of words in some tweets. Uh, but Inez, I think you have a poem that captures the feeling of what's going on in the pandemic for all of us, A Quiet Night Alone. Could you read that for us? Sure. And um, could I speak just a little bit about how I came to write it? I think it's Absolutely. kind of a... So um, one of the activities I've sometimes done at the end of a, a term of teaching is um, I give out these paint chips. You can see I have a couple of them here. Um, and I find them to be really lovely. They have beautiful names. You know, this is, this is Midnight Sonata. This is Wedding Cake. Um, this is Toasty. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, my friend Samia Hack, who's a poet, kind of invented this game with me where we, we make a poem somehow from either the words or the colors. Um, and sort of a, an, an activity I like to give at the end of the term is they take a couple of cards and um, I ask them to write a poem that would comfort somebody because I think that's much in need in finals week. And I'm always a little worried because I'm giving them so many things to work around. They only have like 10 or 15 minutes and they always write amazing, extraordinary poems that, you know, when they walked through the door, they looked like they needed someone to comfort them and they could write this thing instantly that they felt would be a comfort to someone else. And so uh, I wrote this poem, actually, because I thought, you know, I, I should give it a shot after making so many other people do it. Um, so I'll read, I'll read A Quiet Night Alone. And I think, you know, on the scale I talked about earlier, I think this is a poem that takes you more to an inner place um, that asks you to just be present, um, in this case, entirely by yourself, but um, with the voice that the poem is giving you. So happy to read this. This is A Quiet Night Alone. Tonight... Let others consume themselves in a panic of meteor dust. This evening, the owls have no quarrel with the stars. 
A quiet night alone is like a secret mission to restore a hidden weft of heirloom threads. Endless summer, lights at sea, a cream quilt when the wind sifts the soft offerings of the unhurried earth. Linger over a second supper, butter the bread, pour another glass of wine or cup of wild chamomile. Forget everything as you read, but the pleasure of reading itself. In the gentle glow of such solitude, shadows are only shadows. Thoughts are only thoughts. How strong you are to sustain this stillness, the hours slow, the phones dead, and the wolves a quiet curve on the threshold. Oh my God, that's amazing. That's, and, and that so also captures, I think, the way we um, have come to feel about the physical world while mm -hmm. we're here during the pandemic. <laughs> we sort of experiencing, if we, if we let ourselves, we can, you know, look at the moon and look at the planets and, and hear things that we weren't really hearing before, I think. Um, and some of you, I know, I believe, have been influenced by the pandemic. I mean, has the pandemic changed what you're writing or what you chose to write about, Juan Felipe? Well, definitely. Uh, it sure has. Uh, I, I kind of noticed it the other day. It's not only just uh, the feelings and all that and our, our uh, uh, writing, um, writing uh, uh, letters of kindness, which is most important, perhaps it's probably the most important thing mm. is to is to provide kindness in whatever way we can. Any anything else is going to be just fine, uh, but kindness is where the warmth is, and to send to send out those poems of kindness is is uh, what we all uh, want and what we all need. However, something happened. Uh, it's not just what we said. Poets were used to writing and kind of sending out the poem. I mean, it has wings, and we're going to put it on a little branch and encourage it. It's going to take off. That's what, that's what we're used to. That's what we do. But I, I started to write recently, and all of a sudden, the forces that are, I'll tell you the truth, all of a sudden, the forces that are at play crunched in on the poem. Uh, <laughs> I'll show you uh, some examples. If I can find them, okay. So I, I noticed that uh, <laughs> something's going on, you know. And um, for example, this is where it begins. It kind of begins, and there's more of it, you know. I don't know if you can see this. It, it, it just started to happen. It really did. It just started to happen, and and it just sped up. It sped up. Yeah. And is this the first time you've written poetry where the not only the words but the the graphicness of it, the design of it, was an important thing? Well, I like I love the graphicness of it, mm -hmm. and, and that for sure. But I noticed that um, this this just you know I could have gone to eight and a half by eleven or whatever it is, uh, and all of a sudden this is taking place. So it's like this other force field. This other force, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. That's what's happening to all of us. 
we're experiencing a new force field. And respond to it by staying home or by listening to CNN or by taking little walks or doing things differently because we're being uh, moved by what's taking place. It's, that's mm -hmm. the way it is. And I saw it crunching in. I, I see that force field crunching in <laughs> of, of the poems. Well, now, can you read social distancing and tell us a little bit about what made you decide to First of all, I love the fact that it's it's like the spokes of a wheel coming out from this central mantra, um, which is the which is what healing comes or something yeah. like that. Healing begins. I called on a good friend of mine, one of my uh, uh, a great artist and poet here in, in Fresno, Fresno State, uh, Anthony Cody, and he's kind of a he's, he's kind of the magician of. Uh, working with applications and making things stretch and bend. I said, Anthony, I, I'm done with this. I'm done with this poem. Just, can you just throw your magic on it? So, <laughs> so this, is, this is what he did. I go, that's exactly, thank you. I said, this is exactly where I'm at. And uh, so he, he definitely gets credit on this poem. Social distancing uh, with design from Anthony Cody. And you, you could start anywhere. So let, let, let's start up here. Um, Grocery bags have a tendency to wobble. You can crash into the toy section. Flaring stars create another star. The basketball will dunk you up. Blushing will take you down. A chili bowl will wreak havoc by itself. Freedom blossoms in all its colors. The power between us is magnificent. Peace opens, rises, and accelerates. Fear dissolves, and trust walks in. Your tenderness opens its door. Love flourishes for the first time. Healing begins. So the poem just spun on its own with this design. And then I guess I, I took off over here on this larger pad. And before I knew it, it turned into spirals and atom shapes and all that. And I'm kind of surprised. I love doing it, but I'm kind of surprised because it accelerated. It accelerated. And that's what's going on. <laughs> We're feeling this acceleration of things in different directions. So I'm enjoying this. The style, and I'm enjoying the new sprint, and I'm enjoying not being able to read what I wrote, and uh, using pencil, and and things like that. Uh, but the, the key is um, to let go, and the key is, in this case, uh, healing begins. Healing begins, and that's that's the goal: kindness and healing. Yeah, I like that you mentioned kindness. Um, I I try to be kinder during this whole thing. Um, that's amazing. It's like poetry and artwork together for you. And Alberto, what about you? How has the pandemic, if it has, affected what you write? Well, I, I, I think the pandemic, uh, one, one of the things that's important to me is that it tries so hard to rule my life and, yeah. and I don't, I don't want to let it. Mm -hmm. and, and so sheltering in place is just one in the great cosmic you know, checklist of all of the things that we really can do. Now, I, I think loud is a magnet and the pandemic right now is very loud and we're all looking at it. 
instead of looking directly the opposite to see what is happening, which is actually our, our bigger real lives, the history of our lives, the future, everything else is, is kind of opposite the pandemic. So for me, uh, I, I think writing uh, about the pandemic, uh, all of the uh, writer's tools are taken away. We don't know who the character, we don't know what characters can be trusted. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know, uh, you know, who can be trusted. What's the truth? What's the plot? It's all sort of in the middle of in medias rest right now. Yeah. So yeah. as a writer, you're, you're, you, all of the controls you might think you have aren't there. And, and uh, digesting it is, is just not happening yet. I feel like a cow there. I, I need a bunch of stomachs to start <laughs> digesting it because everything seems like a new set of, of facts every day. Yeah, that's right. So as I write, um, when, I, when I'm writing now about the pandemic, mm. it seems to me so clearly I'm writing not about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That, that, of course, that still means it's counter to it. It's still there. But I think I'm simply looking around as opposed to at. And I think when I write, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, is there any possibility that the pandemic just allows you all more time to write whatever you were writing before the pandemic? Mm-hmm. But it's a different kind of time. Yeah, no, that's yeah. well said. It is a different kind of time. And it took a while to figure out that it was time, you know, because <laughs> you're, you're suddenly faced with all of these Technology is all these things you you suddenly were thrown into and had to learn, especially if you're an educator. Uh, you know, you had to learn how to do Zoom and and yes. Canvas and yes. and all of these other things. So so while it might seem like it was a lot of time, a it, lot of it was taken up by relearning how to go through your day as an educator or even ultimately as a writer. And uh, I, I think that's that's affecting us. You know. It, now I feel better and I'm getting closer to the, the idea that uh, this has got some silver lining uh, attached to it. And I think it's actually, I, I have a staff, for example, I run the Virginia Piper Center for Creative Writing. It's going to be hard to get them to all come back to work because you know, we can get a lot done. <laughs> I was wondering that. I, I was thinking about that today. Um, um, for all its limitations, when I work at home as a writer, I don't have to deal with other people on the phone or other people talking too loud or, or any kind of interruptions like that. And that'll go away when I have to actually go back to work. Um, there, is a, there is something good about the solitude, I think, for anyone who's a writer. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the description for, the, for this panel on Zocalo uh, said, asked this question, what is it about poetry that allows you to escape your greatest anxieties, find space for introspection, or even achieve a catharsis? Which is a lot of pressure for a poem, I think. Uh, but I think we talked about some of that, but is there a kind of catharsis that people are going through when they read a poem? If I can jump in with something, just an observation I didn't get to make earlier, I think, sure. I think there's a huge difference between poetry and a poem. Mm-hmm. And, and poems have that impossible task of trying to be poems. Poetry is the stuff, and you find it everywhere, and, and, and it's free, uh-huh. and it's out there, and you can, you can encounter it anywhere. And I, I have to say that's what energizes me is poetry. 
Hmm. Poems, yeah, good. I'm glad. Uh, but they're labeled. They're kind of prepackaged. They're there. And I believe it. And I read them. That's It's good. But when I find poetry, hmm. something changes in me. And I, I think that's what sustains me. Where have you found poetry recently? Uh, well, by looking all around. And, and I think looking up, looking down, listening to my neighborhood, listening, uh, you know, tasting what's in my refrigerator, no matter how far, how many months back it goes, uh, <laughs> it, the, 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 the human things. And uh, I think that's different from picking up and reading a book or a, a poem in a book. It's, it's different. They're connected. They're, don't get me wrong, but it's different. Well, on that note, I was wondering if maybe you could read the morning news sure. because to me, I've been thinking a lot about birds and what I hear them uh, trilling and singing. And I find an enormous amount of poetry in it. Um, so if you could read that, that would be wonderful. I'd be happy to do it. I have a new app, by the way, when I go walking that will identify bird calls. And I love it because I can never remember, but I, I always want to know. I'm always hungry every day to relearn the name of something because it, it seems like the name doesn't stick, but the song does. This is called The Morning News. Seasons will not be still, filled with the migrations of birds making their black script on the open sky, those hasty notes of centuries-old goodbyes. The clouds in the heavens make a memo book, a diary of it all, if only for a day. The birds write much, but then rewrite all the time, news continuous, these small pencil tips in flight. They're not alone in the day's story, Jets, too, make their writing on the blue paper. Jets, and at night, satellites and space stations. Like it or not, we are all subscribers to the world's newspaper, written big in the frame of the window in front of us. Today, we wave to neighborhood riders on horses. We hear the woodpecker at work on the chimney. There is news everywhere. All this small courage so that we might turn the page. It's so lovely. And, and I love it, not because of the newspaper, uh, <laughs> but because of the poetry of the birds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was, when I uh, was asked to do this, I began to uh, randomly read through work by all of you. And I found so many things that I loved um, that have nothing to do with the pandemic. They're just observations of life. And I think that's really what I crave right now. Um, I know Alberto, I couldn't pass up a poem. This is by Alberto that is the, the title alone is a poem. Teodoro Luna confesses after years to his brother Anselmo, the priest, who is required to understand, but who understands anyway, more than people think. I, how can you not read that? <laughs> and then it's about, um, I love the first lines, I am a slave to the nudity of women. Um, I think this is a time when everybody can rediscover um, passion 
and sensuality in reading. And that's what I came across uh, from, from you. Uh, and I, I wondered when you're reading poetry at this time, what is it when you're reading other people's poetry, what is it that you're looking for? Oh, it's the finger snap. For mm -hmm. me, it's always a moment and I, I, I can almost hear it. It's almost visceral. Uh, it's and it almost doesn't matter what the poem proper is about. It's the moment that just I hear it. It's a finger snap. It's some words that go together, like I've never heard anything go together before or whatever. <laughs> it always reminds me. Uh, a few years ago, I went back and reread all of the books I read in high school to see oh what it was. To see what it was that made me. You know, it, at that point, and I always thought that my favorite book was Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I saved it for last and oh, it was terrible. It was terrible <laughs> until I was about three quarters of the way through that book and I came to a line and then I knew that's why I love the book. The rest of the book didn't matter. Oh. One line and it helped me understand what I feel as a, a poet and as a reader of poetry. You probably want to know what the line was. <laughs> And yes. you have to remember, I was an adolescent, and I thought this was really the hottest line I had ever read, and it just changed my life. And he, and here, I won't tell the whole plot of the the the, the novel, but the main character is named Michael Valentine Smith. Okay. And the line was, "When Michael Valentine Smith kissed a woman, you've got to know that even the word woman to an adolescent, by the way, was a very hot word." <laughs> When Michael Valentine Smith kissed a woman, that's all he did. Wow. Now, that was for me. That, that, that was just something. I, I'm sure that's a tired, cliched moment. But when I encountered it for the first time in the midst of so much, you know, a universe of other words, it was like that efficient dictionary and that effective poem. That moment just suddenly came alive for me. I, that makes total sense. I, I, I totally understand that. Um, and when I was reading through Inez's poems, I was struck by all the things that speak to you or that I found in your poems. Um, I, uh, like I love your poem, Not Cute, that speaks to regular life and fear and annoyance and fear of aging, annoyance at being too known. I love the line, I've never respected anyone I couldn't fool. Uh, <laughs> and I think all of our fears are magnified as we sit at home, even if we're busy, which all of us are. There's a sense of brooding about who we are and who we should have been and who we could be and why haven't we accomplished all that. And I know you have some thoughts about fear, Inez, and how you work with it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, to kind of, it connects back um, when you were mentioning, you know, can poetry be a kind of catharsis? And, um, you know, something I've been thinking about with writing so much is that it helps you release something, you know, it doesn't have to mean that someone else needs to read it. But I think that's one of the best reasons to write. It can just be for yourself. Um, on days that I can't find myself, you know, creating a full poem, I'm journaling a lot right now, and I cannot recommend it highly enough to anybody. Um, 
But, um, you know, that reminded me of um, another exercise that I do with my students sometimes, which is um, we, we sort of, I ask them, what's the central emotion that you think that you write of, um, write out of? The poet Katie Peterson has this theory that every poet writes from a central emotion. And it doesn't mean that their poems are about that central emotion um, or that it even mentions it, but there's something coming out of it. Um, you know, the examples include like for Richard Syke and it's panic. For Mary Oliver, it's relief. Mm-hmm. And we do this, just, we sit down for a while and we kind of make like a, you know, we may make a big chart and we ask ourselves questions and we think, what is that central emotion that I come back to that gives me my energy, that gives me something to write from? And, you know, I too had to do the exercise because I assigned it. And I realized when I did, to my dismay, I think my central emotion is fear. I was really hoping it was something else, but I think it's fear. And, um, but the happy thing I think is that my dis, my you know my discontent led me to think okay, um, are there ways of using that though? Um, you know, do you write sometimes out of the opposite of your central emotion? You know, those things are probably closer than you imagine. Um, are there sort of tangentially connected emotions? Um, you know, vulnerability, openness, mm-hmm. um, annoyance, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also. Um, I, I love what a student said once when he kind of mentioned, you know, I, he said, I think I write out of distress, but I write to get myself out of distress. I write to understand what I'm distressed about. Um, and I think in that way, um, writing can and should always be an act of discovery. I love a poem that feels like I'm discovering something. I love a poem that makes me feel like I'm being transformed in some way, whether with like that sublime line that Alberto read to us. Uh, Mm -hmm. or many, many others that I just have in my head um, without any attempt to memorize the poem. Um, Those are things that I think about. The last, I guess, thing I I think about with with poems I look to read is I've been asking myself the question for a few years, does this poem save my life a little? And kind of consciously or unconsciously, I think that's something I want from every poem, even a poem about daily, everyday little things. Um, I want it to sort of save my life a little to give me some life to compel me to keep going on in some way so so you have a poem that's unpublished uh sitting in the rubble and talk a little bit about how you got there and and read that for us if you if you would sure so that poem uh you know, I didn't write it in the pandemic, but I wrote it in a season of my life when I was in worse shape than I was now that I'm in the pandemic just you know just a dark emotional place and the title, it felt like I was sitting in the rubble, you know, of something that had kind of collapsed around me. Um, and, um, you know, s- sort of, a, a, I guess, the way it came together was um, a friend of mine, Kaylee Dorfman, I was kind of complaining, you know, I was talking about how sad I was. And I said, I kept saying, you know, oh, well, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't complain. You know, other people are in, in worse pain than me. Other people are suffering more. And she just looked at me and she said, pain is not a competition. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I loved that. And I think, you know, there are sort of hierarchies of who gets to talk about their pain and who is allowed to, to share their pain. Um, and something I think that, you know, going back to that kindness that Juan Felipe mentioned, I think right now we're listening so much more to one another. I think we're inviting more people to speak and share um, from whatever they're feeling. So um, hopefully this poem does a little of that. So I'll read Sitting in the Rubble. Still, outwardly, I go to work, I cook my meals, I do my laundry, 
as though my life consisted of acts like these. Six of my friends lose a child. Three get into car accidents. Two survive shootings. And only one says, it's not a competition, meaning we shouldn't believe we have to win as if only the winner gets to grieve while the rest of us bleed empathy. Through it all, I think of you. Every day I miss you. Happy are the brokenhearted, for they do not condemn what they have come to understand. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, it's beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, um, I think um, I think that speaks to all of us. Um, I want to uh, mention that when I was reading, um, when I was looking for poems by Juan Felipe, I of course was drawn to anything that I could remotely tie to the pandemic. And I came across a poem by Juan Felipe titled, We Are Remarkably Loud, Not Masked. And I thought, oh, something about masks. And in fact, uh, this was written five years ago, I think, about the unjust deaths of uh, that befell Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and some other young men. And this was actually more a call for us to not be silent in the wake of their deaths. And this is a call for us to shed our masks as opposed to what we're all obsessed with now. Um, a lot of your poetry has confronted racism and violence. Are you thinking, a couple of things, are you, are you struck by the appalling shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery that has been in the news, the, the death that happened in Georgia? Oh yes, I'm, I'm, I'm totally struck, I'm, I am. It's, uh, it's like a sledgehammer. Uh, it's incredible. It's so so cruel, so brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here here he is running in what he usually runs and jogs. Where he's usually jogging, people know him. The neighborhood knows him. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, these two two men approach him and uh, pull out uh, a what is it? A big gun, a long gun, a short gun doesn't matter. And uh, and and within seconds or so, he gets shot. And it's it just another version of what has been uh, happening to uh, uh, young black men and black women too. And uh, what is it? You know, it's when is this going to stop? This this wheel of uh, of annihilation, this wheel of cruelty, this this wheel of targeting uh, human beings, African American human beings. Uh, on and on and on and on and on, on and on and on. And uh, I know we don't get used to it. We say we get used to it, but how could we get used to this? There's no use to. And we, and we turn away, we really can't turn away. Yeah. And we, we begin to agree. We begin to make an odd agreement, uh, even though, because it just happens. It keeps on happening. And, and the question is, how, how do we stop it? The question is, how do we change this? And one person cannot change it. We all can't change it. And and that's the that's the question. 
not uh, the economy, you know, uh, not all that other stuff. The question is, how are we going to uh, put out uh, this suffering? How are we going to just stop this suffering and stop this brutality? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it really struck me because of the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the uninhibited killing of, of this beautiful man. Do you think you'll be writing about that? Or do you think, I mean, is that something that just comes organically and you'll have to let it marinate before you know? <laughs> oh, it's all organic, you know. It's all organic. Definitely. I definitely will. I definitely will. Because, you know, the, the fire, the fuel, it starts boiling, you know. We begin to feel what's going on. It affects our lives. We see it. Uh, we listen to it. We know about it. And uh, we naturally uh, respond. And, uh, and let's do that, you know. I, I will do that. Um, that's, that's, that's a good thing to do, to respond, uh, to send letters, to right. send poems. I remember when the Sandy Hook massacre took place at elementary school. Uh, I was working uh, at UC Riverside, and I asked my students, "Come on, let's let's write some poems for for that for that community uh, in honor of those children and, and teachers and principal." And uh, the group did. We sent them to the Gazette there, uh, and that was it. Uh, I was happy that we accomplished that. They right. were happy that they accomplished that. And maybe a few, a number of months passed by, maybe a year passed by, and I was doing a reading in San Francisco at the Jewish Cultural uh, Center, and a woman uh, walked up to me and said, uh, on, on the stage, she said, oh, you know what, Felipe, thank you. Thank you for those poems that you sent us, the poems from the students. And, oh, that's and nice, yeah. That was good, you see? Yeah. Uh, that's, that happened, so yes, definitely. This is um, in the midst of the pandemic, which is brutal, of uh, locusts invading, you know, of locust storm, storms of locusts in Africa. And what are these new uh, hornets coming around, yeah, chewing yeah. up everything? Yeah. Uh, and the dismantling of our uh, relationships, our positive relationships in the world. And now another brutal murder in front of our eyes. So, you know, it's time to touch base and, uh, Acknowledge that we're all sisters and brothers. Um, I just want to um, ask you one quick question, and then um, I'm hoping maybe that um, um, Alberto, you could read um, um, the poem that we discussed earlier. But just very quickly, what happens to um, you guys post-pandemic? Can you resume going to book readings? I mean, can you resume teaching? And I mean, Inez, what happens to you? Oh, I hope we can be back in the classroom in the fall. Um, No one knows, Um, you know, it's weird. I even dreamed about it a few nights ago, which is, which is a fun contrast because I dream about being on Zoom. Sometimes I dream about being on Canvas. (laughs) So nice to dream about something better. Um, I don't know. you know, I think we're something we're all grappling with is, is, you know, it's not going to be the same life after this is not going to be the same yeah. thing. not going to go back to normal. Um, every time I hear someone say that, it kind of, you know, anchors me back in that again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I think 
with poems, I like to think of them as 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 very much as Juan Felipe says, kind of they're they're a response to the world. They take actions in the world. Right. And I've been wondering, you know, what are what are the needs that we're seeking to have met with poetry right now? Um, I remember reading a, an interview with Marie Howe where she talked about how poetry came out so much after 9-11, where people were posting poems everywhere. They were writing poems on bedsheets in Washington Square. Oh, wow. It was so important for people to gather and you know create and speak and, and do these inherently hopeful things. And I'm I'm so curious to see, you know, when we are able to gather again or if we're still online a couple months from now, um, you know, what needs we're going to see poetry meeting and and how we're going to to keep navigating that. And I think we're just about out of time, but I would love it if we could just close with uh, when giving is all we have. Alberto, if you... Um, Grab a copy of it. <laughs> I'm happy to read this. And, and it begins with a little epigraph. Uh, it says, one river gives its journey to the next. And just as a bit of insight to everybody in the Socalo, uh, my last name is... Rios, which is rivers. When I say one river gives its journey to the next, it was a shout out to my son, however subtle. And I read this several times and somebody came up to me afterward and said, you know, it's also your father talking to you. And so this is called when giving is all we have. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We've been better for it. We've been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It is loud and quiet, big but small, diamond in wood nails. Its story is old, the plot worn, but we read its book anyway over and again, giving is first and every time, hand to hand, mine to yours, yours to mine. You gave me blue and I gave you yellow. Together, we are simple green. You gave me what you did not have and I gave you what I had to give. Together, we made something greater from the difference. Thank you so much. Um, what an honor to be with all of you. Uh, we're gonna take some questions if uh, I can uh, find them. Um, do you, uh, here's one, these are questions from uh, the uh, people who've been listening in. Um, do you write for yourself or because you need to, or for an audience? Um, well, I think I've done all those. I think I've, I've taken on those uh, challenges uh, as, I, as, I, as I have been writing. Uh, I used to, uh, I actually, quite a bit, I respond to what's going on. And, uh, and, and also, I also read, uh, I mean, I also write as free as I can, as freely as I can without any uh, thoughts or ideas or mm -hmm. anything that I'm going to work on. I just let go and I, I dive into the page uh, or scribble on little pieces of paper or in my hand 
or draw my dreams out and put words on the drawing. Uh, that I then I really like. I really enjoy that as free as possible. I don't really wait to wait too long. And first thing I do is just hit hit the writing. Um, and also uh, when I'm uh, writing, I kind of you know when you write, you're also sometimes you can check check what you're what you're writing. You don't have to, and it's not really the best way to go. But sometimes I'm kind of reading what I'm writing as I'm writing it without knowing what I'm writing. And uh, at that time, uh, I began to notice that I'm not getting deep enough. I know I'm not really inside that poem. I know I'm still skating on the, on the glass of the poem. And I, I, it's hard to get in there. <laughs> you have to knock on it, stomp on it sometimes. And I know that if I do that, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, a geyser is going to come up. And that geyser is going to have uh, this incredible uh, insight incredible insight that I know is in there, but I just can't keep on skating and just blah, blah, blahing and throwing my smart words around and pushing. The <laughs> it's not going to work. So I have to literally carve it out and go down as deep as I can. Just, and it, and it happens. Sometimes it happens. I, you, I, that's, that's it right there. Um, I just, this is a really interesting question. And I know you all have thoughts about this. What poets or authors do you recommend reading during these times? And I know, Inez, you have curated a pandemic playlist, which I believe we're going to put out. Um, just give us um, like four people who are on that list, and then maybe Alberto, if you have some ideas for your pandemic reading list, let's yeah. hear it. Oh, great question. Uh, and I actually, I got so excited. I had so much fun doing it. I curated two, so those will go up on Zocalo oh, okay. tomorrow. All right. Um, one of them is the sort of like dwell in place and one of them is the escapism pun. So a little bit of something for every mood. Um, you know, um, there's a poem by Marilyn Nelson who's on that list called Not My Bones. Um, I find it absolutely arresting. Uh, it begins, you know, I was not this body. I was not these bones. The skeleton was just my temporary home. Mm. And it's, it's, it's so intensely sad and everyone who listens to it feels how joyous it is at the same time to think that with all the limitations and pains and, and illness of our body at times, um, as of course we are our bodies, but there are moments to, to be able to step back and say, I was not this body. Um, I find that poem intensely moving every time I read to it. And it's a rhyming one. So everyone loves that. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, there's a poem on there by Emily Dickinson. Um, one of the few sort of, you know, not ways past poets. Um, I, I tend to try to, to recommend contemporary living poets. Um, but there was a poem there that was so meaningful to, to, to a number of students this last year. And, um, it was such a, a revelation to them um, because they felt like they didn't they didn't understand poetry. It was too difficult, you know, or it was too obscure. It was like this hidden code. Um, and when they read a particular Emily Dickinson poem, who's not got a reputation for being super, you know, lucid immediately, um, it just connected so intensely with something that they had experienced. So the poem is uh, after great pain, a formal feeling comes, and it's about. Um, you know, the formality of poetry is a way to hold your grief, um, among other things, but it's, it's a small poem that, that I, I find myself turning to often when, when things get rough. Um, and I could go on and on, but I would be happy to, to post links widely to this tomorrow. 
Alberto, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have to say I am the worst person in the world to ask this because I'm such a believer that that my discoveries are not somebody else's discoveries. Uh-huh. So I don't I don't have a list of names. I, I, I Maryland is a great choice. There, there are so many great things happening out there. I think somebody simply has to venture into it all. That said, uh, I want to echo something Inessa is saying, something I come back to, and I cannot explain why. It's so simple. It's, it's almost, almost nothing. And yet I cling to it. And it's also from Emily Dickinson, but it's not one of her poems. It's out of her letters. Oh. And, and here, and so, as I said before, I don't, I'm not looking into, the, into poems. I'm finding it other places. And here it is. This world is just a little place, just the red in the sky before the sun rises. So let us keep fast hold of hands that when the birds begin, none of us be missing. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. I, and um, quickly, Juan Felipe, anything you recommend everyone read? Your poetry, right? In fact, one of your poems is on Inez's um, pandemic playlist. <laughs> so. well, you, know, you know, I'm getting to the point. I think I've gotten to the point. I'm getting to the point. I'm probably like, I don't know, five inches away from this. We're getting to the point where really uh, poems are beginning to feel a little constricting. Oh. And, uh, but like, like everyone has said already, they're really everywhere and uh, inside and beyond the inside and outside. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm, I've, I've been feeling like just getting a big roll of paper and, and rolling it around the trees and throwing it up to the, the clouds and, and then bringing it down and see what, see what it says, you know, because it, it, really, it really is like that, you know, it really is like that. And uh, a tree is just, it's just bristling poems. And the clouds, they lay up in certain patterns sometimes and they flare out and there's, there's particular formations. And, you know, that's a big poem. You know, that's a big poem. Why am I going to come down to a piece of paper like this? <laughs> got the whole sky, you know, right into a poem. And, you know, everything's a teacher. Everything's a teacher. Uh, so if you stop every, all the machinations that, of our lives, just stop the machinations and turn to a tree, believe it or not, or the leaves. <laughs> Or, or someone mentioned the birds and all that. You know, just get rid of all the uh, furniture here. Get rid of all the furniture, and <laughs> and and let, and let life, big life, uh, imprint that poem on you. And you're good. You're good. And and that's what I'm feeling. You know, at this time, I just put the furniture away. Even this write poems, of course. I'm going to be scribbling on this big pad, but also open up to uh, the, the the bigger voices and the more profound voices. And the ancient voices. So uh, that's uh, that's what's happening, my dear friends. <laughs> so let me. We apparently only have time for like one or two more questions. And this really struck me. When do you know when one of your poems is finished? <laughs> when it stops. <laughs> Inez. Uh, sometimes when I can hear the whole thing often when the title feels right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alberto? I don't think they're ever finished. And in fact, I often will take a poem and turn it into a story, take a story, turn it into a poem. I can, I think testing ideas, uh, an idea is like this small little fusion thing. It's just, it's just 
perpetual motion. It'll give you a thousand things if you let it. Um, and what has helped you find confidence to put your work out into the world? Um, I mean, you're all obviously accomplished, so you've been um, you've been at this for a while. You've won awards, but maybe if I could, if I could refine that. Um, what was the what was the thing that started you off that made you confident as a poet? Uh, my mother, um, my mother's yeah. voice, my mother's, my mother's voice, my mother's voice, and friendship. Hmm. Friendship. It's good to write on your own by yourself. Of course, that's what we do. But friendship and others writing and conversations hmm. that that makes you buoyant, and and you have to dive into it. You have to dive into that big audience. Just gotta dive in there. Maybe you'll land on a, on your earlobe. And, 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 you know, that helps. That helps. Little by little, uh, you, that confidence uh, builds. I was the last one to feel confident. Yeah. I, um, Inez? I love that idea about friendships. I think all poems talk to one another. I think of poems as being in sort of this great river. Um, and I try to tell my students, and I tell myself this every day, too, you can take part in that. Um, I think when you're able to feel that, sometimes you're the hardest one to convince of that. Other people can tell you, but you have to tell yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when you're ready to say, you know, my voice matters too. I can read poems. I can write poems. I can talk back to the poems that I've loved. Yeah. Um, I think those are kind of the moments when I feel like, yeah, let's send some poetry out. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's good advice for life. Um, Alberto? Yeah, for me, uh, this is going to sound a little bit ludicrous, but I mean it. Um, when I first started, I, I thought I invented poetry. <laughs> I, I, I didn't come from writers. Uh, I, I moved toward them. And the whole time I was growing up, I mean, uh, everybody will have gone through their educational system in different ways, but poetry just simply wasn't part of mine. It was a, you know, a tough school. Yeah. And, and so I was writing in the backs of my notebooks, which is where you go to get in trouble. You're going to write a spit, create a spitwad or write a note to somebody or whatever. And I was going there because what I was writing didn't fit anywhere else. There was nobody to show it to, nobody to give it to. And so I was writing something. And, and this is a little sad. I mean, I, I couldn't show it to teachers because I didn't know what teacher to show it to. I couldn't show it to my parents. That's the law of being a kid. Yeah. And, and I couldn't, and this, this is sad. I couldn't show it to my friends in the beginning because I knew they weren't doing that. And in that sense, it was mine. I was inventing it. And it wasn't until I got to university that I, I started, uh, I took a class. And by the way, I took a class, my first poetry class, I only took because it was the year that computers came to universities. And I was doing what everybody in the, the entire uh, country was doing that, that year. We were, I, the two friends of mine that went to university with me, uh, we were in my bedroom and we were looking through the we were reading a book harder than we'd ever read a book in our lives before, and it was the university catalog. And of course, we were looking for the easiest courses we could find because now pre-registration was possible. You didn't have to go through your advisor. And I came to English 9. <laughs> it's so weird. I thought I would never take an English class ever again. I had been through freshman English and never again. It was almost by accident. Freshman nine, I'm reading it almost by accident, and I get to the end, and it says, no final. Um, I signed up for it in a heartbeat. 
<laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into. And, and, and the truth of it is when I, when I first took class, uh, I purposely wrote some things in Spanish to begin with because I knew nobody else in the class could, could read, read it. it. Yeah. And well, it actually, started like that. I, you know, that's really interesting because there is one final question, and this is a really interesting one. What advice do you have for a new for new immigrant poets to the U.S. Um, who have are still developing their English language skills? You know, I love the story of the poet Charles Simic, who began writing poetry. I think he wanted to write fiction, but he wasn't confident in his English. And he so he thought, I'll write poems instead. And his poems are sublime. Um, and, you know, I think one of the great assets you can have to, to writing poems is speaking other languages. And that can be other languages. It can be computer programming. It can be dance. It can be, you know, whatever your definition of a language is. Um, I think that enriches the poems that you can write and gives you a perspective and a voice that will not be like any others and, and that other people are, are desperate to hear. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, I, if I hold this pen in my hand and the only word I have for it is pen, I own it. I'm done with it. I can move on to paper. I can move on to whatever. <laughs> but if at the same moment I know that pen is also pluma, and it's got two ways to be said. I've got to stop for a moment and decide what I'm going to call it this time. And if it's got two words for it, maybe it's also a bloom, three words for it. If it's got three, maybe it's got 10. If it's got 10, maybe it's got a thousand. And suddenly this thing is wild in my hand. <laughs> that's As opposed to just being a pen. Oh, and wow. I think that's, that's the advantage that anybody coming from another culture or that has multiple languages brings with them. It is difficult to bridge and to start, but I think that advantage is unparalleled. Uh, I, that's remarkable because it takes what looks like on the surface a disadvantage. And you guys have just talked about how it's an advantage. Um, we have to close out with that. I just want to say that it's been an amazing honor to be with all of you. I've learned a lot and um, it's, it's been great. And I'm now inspired to read lots more of your poetry. Um, and we hope this inspires all of you who've been watching and listening to read and exchange poetry and continue the conversation. Uh, you can find interviews with tonight's panelists at zocalopublicsquare.org as well as many poems, articles, and essays, and a video of archives of all the Zocalo events. Thank you all. Thank you, panel. Thank you, people who've been watching <laughs> from <laughs> their little homes. Um, I really appreciate it. Good night. Thank you, Carla. Good night. Good night.